right, everybody. So we're in Psalms. And uh, I don't know. I don't know about y'all. I, like I've already told you, I love the book of Psalms. It's a, to me, it's a, it's a wonderful human book. And I, that's what I see in these Psalms today. I, I understand this psalmist, the one who, who is able to, to so well articulate what my soul itself can't quite say. You know, I read the words, I'm like, that's what I've been trying to say. Like, that's wonderful. That's great. So I love the, the humanity of this book, but also appreciate that it's a hymn book also. Like, these are ways that we praise our God. And so the first week, if you remember, we did Psalms of Wisdom, and we those Psalms were, were how we can pray and be reminded that our character and our actions do matter before a holy God. And here's the thing, y'all, just to, to keep in mind, if this room were in entirely dark and, and there were a, a light, like on that far side of the room, and so it's an incredibly dark room and then there's one light, I would be able to look down and I would see, you know, some, maybe some spots or some shadows on my shirt. But as I draw nearer to that light, it begins to illuminate more and I see more stains and I see more, you know, so that is how the Christian walk will go, is that we see dimly in a moment whenever we are far from God, uh, quote, far from God, we see some of what God is convicting us of and, and how we need to be cured and cleansed of this. But as we draw closer to Him, there's this weird paradox that as we draw, draw closer to Him, we see our sin even more so because we're closer to the Holy God, so it illuminates more. So those Psalms of Wisdom are always challenging to me because though I feel like I've grown in the Lord, then I sit there and I read it, I'm like, oh my goodness, I've got so much more to go. Praise God, He is gracious, right? The second week, we looked at Psalms of Enthronement. We know, like we know theologically, we know like even academically, like you can read this book academically apart from the Spirit and see that this God says that He's the King of all things. But we know spiritually, He truly is the King of all kings. So those Psalms pointed us to how do we praise in light of that truth? This week, y'all, we're going to look at Psalms of Lament. Psalms of Lament, when, when things are pressing in and whenever we feel like the enemy is all around and our heart is broken, when sorrow and distress are so near, how is it then that we pray? And so um, we're going we're to look at those. Next week will be Psalms of Comfort. And then after that, we're going to move back into Genesis and we're going to keep preaching through Genesis and we're going to finish it. Um, but I, I'm, I'm loving this brief interlude right here in Psalms. You know, so why the Psalms of Lament? Because you and I will suffer in this world. We absolutely will. Whether through our sin, through the sins of others, or through the circumstances of living in a fallen world with fragile bodies, you and I will suffer. I just want to make sure that's absolutely clear. So I'm going to repeat it one more time. But the truth is, is that in this world we will suffer. Whether through our sins, through other sins, or through just the circumstances of living in a fallen world with a fragile body, y'all, we are but dust. We will suffer. There are going to be moments in your life, if you have not experienced them yet, there are going to be dark days whenever you feel like you're just walking through a valley. I mean, it's not a moment of darkness and heartache. I mean, it's a valley. It's a long stretch. What are you supposed to do with that? Because you're supposed to have joy in the Lord, right? 
We know that he does all things well. We know that he works everything for the good according to those who are called according to his purpose. We know that he's on the throne. We know that we should be joyful in light of everything that comes at us because he's sovereign. And if he's sovereign, then we need to be content. But for crying out loud, the days are dark and the minutes are heavy and we don't always know what to do. And if you've never been to that moment, then Christians, you will. You absolutely will. Does he love you? Absolutely. In fact, it's why he would suffer himself. So it's not that, y'all hear this, it's not that we're not going to suffer. We will. Biblically speaking, we will suffer. It's just that we want to suffer well. And I think that's where the Psalms of Lament are going to help us. We will suffer, but may we suffer well. I do not know what this week holds for me or this month or how my life will, how my days will ultimately come to an end. But I pray that in those moments of darkness when they come, whenever the suffering and distress are there, I pray that I suffer well. And so these Psalms of Lament help us with that. Um, these were praises. They were they're a hymn book. How do you praise whenever your heart is broken? How do you praise whenever enemies surround you and the darkness is pressing in and you know that he's on the throne, but everything else is so incredibly heavy? How in the world do you praise him? These Psalms will help us. Okay, so the Expositor's Bible Commentary, I've been trying to use them to kind of define each one of these so that you see that, that, uh, that there's kind of a structure to these. Now, as I, I do this each week, here's what you do not have to be able to do as a Christian. Psalm 67. Hmm, that one is probably a psalm of wisdom. So I need to know, like, read it. All I'm trying to show you each week is like, look, there are categories that you can kind of lump together because the way that cross-life studies and learn scripture is we normally start in chapter 1, verse 1, and then two years later, we finish the final chapter and verse of that, that book. But the Psalms, each one stands on its own. And they, you know, so here's a Psalm of hope. Here's a Psalm of lament. Here's a Psalm of the, of the Messiah who is to come. Like they're all scattered throughout there. They're all collected, God-breathed scripture so that we know how to praise him whatever life gives us. All right, so the Expositor's, Expositor's Bible Commentary says this. Here's why we need these psalms, y'all. In the Lament and Praise Psalms, the enemy, right? because you're going to hear about an enemy or something present, the enemy is always on the periphery. So uh, this, is, this is our periphery right out here. Okay, So the enemy is always present. And in the center of everything is the psalmist and his God. In this relationship, there is a movement that leads one who prays in a cycle from prayer to praise. Listen to this. In the individual lament and praise psalm, the poet confides in his God amid difficulty. That's why you need them. You will have difficult times. How do you pray in those? To me, it breaks down to three things, and this is how we're going to look at them all throughout today. There's an affliction or an enemy. There's a believer who's talking to his God who listens and there is a shift from sorrow to security. And we're going to do that over and over again. Right? These just basically model how we do things. So just as an example, look at Psalm 6. We're not going to break 6 completely down, but Psalm 6 gives you an idea of what one of these sounds like. And by the way, if we read one of these Psalms today, um, and you're sitting there going, that's how I feel, then praise God that he would move David to write these psalms so that we can understand how to pray to him. Psalm 6, just as an example. O oh Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. 
Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, and deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. And Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So that's a psalm of lament. You hear it. You hear the the things. There's affliction. In this case, there's an enemy that, that the psalmist actually sees. They're all around the psalmist. But just so that you understand, you and I are completely surrounded by an enemy at all times. There is a spiritual enemy that surrounds us. I believe even in the, if we do not believe that Satan is active in churches on Sunday mornings, then we are being willfully ignorant. He does not desire his, God's praise to be made known. And so if there is a way that, that Satan can distract us and silence us, then that's what he's going to do. So you might say, well, I'm really in deep despair right now, but there's actually no enemy you know, with arrows, so this one's not for me. Oh, no, it is. It absolutely is. Have you ever just like been in that funk and you don't know why, or maybe you do, but you try to lift your eyes to the hills and you just keep getting dropped down? Y'all, there is a spiritual enemy always around us. There is one who seeks to devour and to destroy who we are. So you, there's affliction. The psalmist is suffering. The other thing that we know is that there's a psalmist before his God who listens. We don't want to take that for granted, y'all. And I'm going to really push into that in the first psalm, that as we prayed this morning, did you fully grasp the great honor and privilege we have? That when we pray, our voice doesn't go to the ceiling, and it doesn't just go to the saints. It goes to the throne. So don't take for granted. I'm going to keep highlighting that over and over again that in the midst of our affliction, when we pray, amidst all the chaos that's in our lives, our God hears us. And then always watch for this. There is a shift from sorrow to security. That's just my way of putting it. They list out all the things, and then you're always going to hear that, the, the powerful, that does not preach well. Okay, the powerful but, though. You know, the B-U-T right there in the middle of everything. Okay, Or the powerful yet. Like there's going to be the sorrow, and then it's, but you, God, sit in throne or but yet you are holy there's always that shift okay i appreciate how some of you smirked whenever i said that and others are like you can't do that in church okay and others if you're so innocent you're like what happened okay that's wonderful okay y'all let's uh, let's look at psalm 13 you and i need to know how we pray when we suffer i've picked about three psalms that, that model this for us Psalm 13, we'll read it, we'll break it down. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? 
How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I've prevailed over him. And lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And that's just a wonderful psalm. And it's short. There's some long psalms out there. But you can memorize this. And by the way, just as a reminder, you can pray this. Like you don't know how to pray, but you're in a dark moment or you're just in sorrow. Go open up Psalm 13 and just pray this out loud and see what God does within your soul and spirit. You know what's going to be so powerful? Because it's his words that you are echoing back to him. These are right and just and perfect before our God because he moved the psalmist to write them. Okay, so if this is a psalm of lament, can you hear these three qualities? Do you hear the affliction? Do you hear the believing, the believer praying to a God who listens? And then the last one, do you hear the shift from sorrow to security? I want to kind of break these down. Okay, so the affliction. Here's what's wonderful about a lot of the psalms. We do not always know the circumstances. We do not always know the context. And in a church where we always say context matters, then this is maybe problematic for us because it seems like it would be more helpful if God would have said this was written during this time while David was going through this. The Psalms are unique in this. Sometimes we know context, sometimes we don't, but their words are always fitting. Sometimes whenever we look too much at the context of the prayer, it can actually pull us away from the actual meaning that the, that the psalmist was scribing. So we have one in here where where you're going to see we absolutely know the context. This one, we don't know. He just says, how long, O Lord, will you forgive me forever? I mean, is that not one of the most, like, humbling human things to say? Like, one of the most honest things to say to God? I feel forgotten by you. Have y'all ever said that? Like, that one feels like one of those where I would go, you can't say that to a holy God, or he will squash you. And yet God moved a man to write this. Like, here's here's the affliction. How long, O Lord, are you going to forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, light up my eyes unless I die. Like, that's sorrow written by David a man after God's own heart, and he's looking at God saying, why have you forgotten me? I don't know if you've ever been in those moments, but, but if you want to admit it, and don't admit it, to, you don't have to admit it to anybody else, but like you and your God, but have you ever felt like he's turned his face away from you and left you in darkness? There's a, a scripture uh, in another part of Psalms that says that the eyes, uh, that the Lord's eyes see the ways of man and his eyelids test the hearts of men. There's a great mystery there that God is always present and yet his eyelids test the hearts of men. Sometimes he feels like he temporarily closes his eyes to see where we'll be when he opens them. He allows affliction to come to his people for his praise. It's a mystery we don't get. If he loves us so much, then why must we suffer? If he loves us so much, if he is so near, if everything is for our good, then why do we have dark days? Why doesn't he just 
like put that hedge of protection around us so that we know joy. Because if everything is so wonderful for us and everything is going so great, then wouldn't it be easier to praise his name and wouldn't we sing so much louder? Absolutely. But would we be able to walk alongside someone else who's not in the same circumstances? It may be that what we go through is for our equipping so that we can walk alongside others. So have you ever felt that? Like those seconds, those hours, those days, whenever you're like, God, where are you in this? Like something happened, you're like, God, where, where were you? You can pray that. It's there. But you better be ready for his answer. His answer is, I never left. And if you're not careful, that can really wreck your theology. It really can. I'm not going to give you all the answers right now. I'm telling you, there are times in life whenever we're going to look around and go, God, where were you in this? Like, what am I supposed to say on account of that? And he says, I sit on the throne. I'm in the heavens. I do all that I please. Trust me. And that's all we have. So we hear that affliction. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Don't confuse your feelings with your faith. Like as humans, we are so prone to take counsel with our feelings that our feelings become predominant in our lives. And so we're trusting our feelings and how, how we feel within. And yet our faith is over here to the side. So don't confuse the feelings that we have, which are temporary and fickle with our faith that stands true for all of eternity. So when dark moments come, when we feel like the Lord has left us, then we do not doubt in the dark what he has already shown us in the light. Okay, so always hold on as you lament and as you sorrow don't always trust your feelings because they're going to change. And don't doubt in the dark what he has already shown you to be true in the light. Your God will sustain you. It may not look like you want it to look, but it's better than you ever dreamed. But one day you will have your rest and your peace and your perfect health and everything will be perfectly fine. And all of this will have had its time in this life. So I just want to encourage you, in your sorrow, I think what we see here. Don't trust your feelings, trust your faith. Okay, I want to keep going. There's something that, that I think also really does resonate um, in light of that. I just want to read it one more time. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? Look at verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? Ask God that. Like, it's not, it's not faithless to say, God, where are you right now? Sometimes you need to say that so that he can say, I'm right here. Kinley uh, has this bad habit now of waking up in the middle of the night and coming to our bed in the middle of the night. And so one of us will go in there and we'll, we'll do our turn as mom or dad and one of us will lay with her or comfort her and then we will sneak away and she will come back. And then she will come back again. Like we're in this really weird phase and we can't solve this one. And none of the tricks that we did on our kids, none of the bribery and manipulation, none of that works with her. She, in fact, goes to sleep with a smile on her face saying, you know, I'm going to wake up. Okay, so she knows what she's doing. Here's what I think is, is wonderful in that illustration, though. She, in the middle of the night, woke up in distress and she knew where to run. And when she came to us, we did not turn her away. Instead, we tried to comfort and counsel. We tried again. We tried again. One day it's going to stick. But how long, oh Lord, will we be In the middle of the night, she knew where safety was. In the middle of our, our sorrow and despair, we know where our comfort is. We just sometimes forget. Like we have this spiritual amnesia 
Look at this, the psalmist before his God. I got to show you like, I'm going to show you one verse where you're like, I already know you were going to do that. But I got to show you something really, really cool in Revelation 5. Okay, but always consider this. Seems obvious, but there's the affliction, and then there's the psalmist with his God, before his God who listens. The psalmist is praying to a God who hears. Never forget that. Whenever you cry out, he hears. Whenever you don't cry out, he hears. Whenever you take counsel within your heart and you don't utter a single word, he hears because he knows all things and he knows all of our hearts. This is us before our God. Okay, so then 1 Peter 5, 7. Whenever you walk through affliction and sorrow and things are overwhelming you, 1 Peter 5, 7. Who knows it, by the way? You do. Cast all. Keep going. Cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. And a lot of you went, oh, that one. You know it. We just need to live it. Right? There's this kind of weird pride within us that when we suffer, we feel like that that's ours to own and hold on to. It's a lie from Satan that we can't cast that on God because God is busy running everything and holding all things together. Y'all, a God of infinite magnitude, you're not going to, in, in infinite strength, you're not going to take away from his glory by, by doing exactly what he told you to do. He said, cast all of your anxieties on me. But look at that last part. Because I care for you. He cares. I mean, I can just use the, the comparison within a marriage because we know that our marriages are actually small pictures of, of a greater marriage. All right, but, but if something's bothering me, Chas wants to know. If something's bothering her, I want to know. You know why? Because we care for one another. And we have this odd temptation that Satan puts into our mind that God cares to hear from us when things are great, but we become kind of this burden or this dripping faucet when things are bad. It doesn't say that. It says, when things are heavy, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Okay, now I want to show you something really cool in case you missed it in Revelation 5 last week. So go to Revelation 5. And this is one of those where, where whenever I see it, because I, I love to read Revelation 4 and 5 over and over again. Every time I see this part, my heart just goes, wow. And yours probably won't, but you can do the wow for me, okay? So Revelation 5. As I'm talking about a psalmist or a believer before his or her God, Revelation 5, start in verse 6. So last week we were looking at the enthronement, the, the, the high kingly nature of God upon his throne. Okay, so here we are in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. That's Jesus. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Watch this. And he, Jesus, he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. By the way, just real quick, do you know who gets to approach the throne of God and take something from the throne of God? Only God. So Jesus alone in all of creation is the only one who can approach the throne, take this, and then go sit on the throne. So he gets to approach the throne. Verse 8, And when he, Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and the golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Wow. There we are. We're in verse 8. You and I are in verse 8. In this scene of 
of swelling ultimate praise of Jesus and God on the throne, we're right there in verse 8. As they sing to the king who will reign forever and ever and ever. Look at verse 8. When he had taken the scroll, when Jesus took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. That just amazes me. Like in the great throne room where God is on his throne and he speaks and there's lightning and thunder and all the elders are bowing down before him. There are the prayers that we pray to our God. They're ever before the throne. So whatever darkness and whatever distress, whatever sorrow you walk through, when you pray, they don't go to the ceiling. They become bowls, golden bowls full of incense before the king. He always hears your prayers. They're always before him. That just amazes me. Your darkest days are, ex are like lifted up to the exalted king. So I hope that that's comforting. And look at this in this Psalm 2. We have the shift from sorrow to security. It happens in verse 5. The psalmist says, but I, like whatever's going on, you've forgotten me, but, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What I thought was so cool this morning is whenever all the instruments stopped, the saints continued to sing, and it resonated, and it was loud. Do you know why? I don't think it's because we felt like singing. I think we understand that because he's worthy, we will sing. So we can't let the circumstances of life dictate how we're going to praise our king. He's worthy whether our days are light or dark. We're going to sing. You know why? Because he's dealt bountifully with us. We are sinners saved by grace. We will still struggle with sin in this life, but we have been held by him. We gather and we know him because he has first loved us. Like he's dealt bountifully with us, so we will sing. But it may be that whenever you're in your darkest moments, praise is what lifts you out of them. You praise yourself out of the darkness because it keeps reminding you that there is something so much grander. These clouds, if a storm were to roll up today and it was the worst, most horrific storm that we've seen all summer, we know the reality that the sun is still beyond those clouds. And we also know that the storm ultimately will pass. There is the hope that it's temporary. No matter how bad it is, it will pass. So will your dark days and so will the valley. All of this will end. You will laugh and smile and rejoice again. Okay, so, man, we got a lot of scripture. We still got to do. Okay, but I do have to, I got to, I got to, here's what Isaiah says. Listen to this. Surely he, this is talking about Jesus, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did not esteem him, yet we did not esteem him. He was stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Y'all, because of, because of Jesus, because he was the forsaken one, do you remember what he said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus. Jesus said, God, why have you forsaken me? Our Savior, Jesus, knows what it means to suffer. He was in such distress in the garden that he would sweat drops of blood, and he even prayed, Lord, if you will, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. I don't want this cup. Yet your will be done and I will be obedient. Our God knows what it means to bleed and to suffer. 
So whenever you say, God, I am desperate right now and I am weak, then other scripture in Romans says, he's, I'm sorry, in Hebrew says, he's, he knows who we are. He's much like us. He's our great high priest. So whenever we say, Lord, I am in the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I've been there and I know, and I'm going to walk with you through it. But I go back to that. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Did he carry our sins? Absolutely. But you know what he also carried? Our griefs and our sorrows. All the heartache and all the pain and all the wondering that you have, he carried those as well. Anything from our broken, fragile nature, he became the embodiment of it, and he became the sacrifice on the cross who ultimately said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's the only one who's been absolutely, completely forsaken by God for our sake and absolutely, eternally redeemed and remembered forevermore. So every knee knows, I'm sorry, every knee will bow because of what he did. But I just want to remind you that we have a God who knows what it means to suffer. Okay, I want, to look at, I want to look at Psalm 22. We're just going to keep moving. Ricky, we didn't do verse by verse, word by word. I know. We're hitting the high levels here, right? That's what you do with poetry. Sometimes poetry is about the words. Sometimes it's about the overarching meaning of what we see here. Now, here's what we're, we're going to do in Psalm 22. I'm going to do this a little bit differently. But know that Psalm 22, called Why Have You Forsaken Me, is also a messianic psalm in the sense that it's, a, it's prophetic. As you read it, you're probably going to be sitting there at moments going, this is Jesus. This is about Jesus, written centuries beforehand. What I want you to keep in mind is that, that Jesus quoted this, this psalm. I think, number one, because he was well acquainted with Scripture. I mean, he was teaching the Pharisees and the Sadducees whenever he was a little boy. He's acquainted with Scripture. But the other one is, this is, this is Jesus. Like the Spirit moved David to write the, these. So I'm not going to do the affliction, the, the psalmist before his or her God, um, and the shift. I, I just want you to hear this, that here's, your, here's like the heart of your Savior suffering through the darkest moments of his life. And look at how there's an acknowledgement of affliction around that he's praying to a God who hears him and yet the exaltation of God. So Psalm 22. Why, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Remember, he was in the garden groaning. Like, I don't want to do this, but your will. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer me. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. Remember him on the cross? They make mouths of me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust in my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. 
Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, and it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. For you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who see him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Y'all hear, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. This is our hope. This is why we pray. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Oh, that's awesome. You hear the suffering of the Lord. All my bones are out of joint. My heart melts like wax. I am thirsty. They surround me and they wag their tongues at me and they mock me. God, why have you forsaken me? Our Savior prayed in that way. But then there's this shift where it becomes very triumphant because Christ did not just die. Christ was resurrected. And now there's hope for every nation. There's that shift from sorrow to security. And so just, I just wanted you to hear that. But can you pray part of this? If this was Jesus who was praying this, and this was, these are his words, can we pray too? Absolutely, they were given to us. And I think that as we pray them, we begin to remember that Jesus suffered and died for us. And we will suffer for his sake. Just may we suffer well. Okay, I want to go real quick. Psalm 51. This will be um, our last psalm of the day. I think. But it may be that, that you're sitting there and you're, you're hearing all this and you're like, but Ricky, like, I don't need this. I don't really need this right now. Things are great. Things are always going to be great. Things are wonderful. God is with me. He surrounds me with the cloud of his presence. I don't need all this, but you know what? You're going to have coffee someday with someone who does. So we don't always come to Scripture to get what we want out of it. We come to be equipped to do the work of the, the ministry of reconciliation. But I think that Psalm 51, I think that this is one where we've all been. I think this is one where, where we can take these words and this is what we need says, create in me a clean heart, O God. And this one gives us context. A Psalm of David when Nathan went to him after he'd gone to Bathsheba. So here is a Psalm 
after sin. And you and I live surrounded by sin. Some is egregious to us and some is unfortunately comfortable to us to where that's not really a sin. It's just something unfortunate that we should not do. No, it's sin before a holy God. We don't get to define sin. God and Scripture define sin. And one of the greatest sins before God is our pride. But this just, this just captures the heart whenever we know that we've sinned before God. I told you that we are in sorrow and distress, maybe because of other sins, maybe because of circumstances of the world. I think that we saw that in the other two. This one is because of our sin. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O Lord, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not, I'm sorry, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Get this, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you, God, will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings and the bulls and, and bulls will be offered on your altar. So if this is a psalm of lament, my question is, can you hear how the psalmist suffers in the midst of distress? We've got three things. The affliction. I told you at the beginning that the context matters and context in the psalms doesn't always matter. I think it matters here. It matters to know that David has just committed such a deep sin and he sees it. The affliction is the stain of sin and its consequences on him and he's feeling the weight of it. Whenever you sin, the Holy Spirit within you grieves your heart and will not give you rest. What a great thing to turn to Psalm 51 and read it because you and I don't always know how to grieve over our sin. So, here's what he says. It's not a physical enemy, it's, it's a lament over sin. Have mercy on me, O God. When you sin, have you prayed for his mercy? Have mercy, not because I'm worthy, but according to your steadfast love. Like, I'm right here in Scripture, y'all walk with me. Blot out my transgressions, which his word says he will do. So when we repent, he blots out our transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. I know my sin, verse 3. And my sin is ever before me. You 
you might be able to act like you have no sin to everybody else, but your sin is ever before you. You close your eyes, it's there. You wake in the middle of the night, it's there. You're driving along and you remember. It just nags. It weighs on your heart. You and I know what it means to be sinners. But verse 4 is so incredibly important. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now that's the heart of sin. It's against God. Are others sinned against? Yes, yes, absolutely. But we really truly sin against God and God alone whenever we commit sin. That changes everything. Because I might offend Matt, but I can, Matt and I can just not talk on the phone for a while. We can avoid one another, go to different sides of the church. I mean, we can, I can sin against Matt and then ultimately we can reconcile because Matt's probably going to recognize, well, he, he's just a guy, he just messed up, you know, and I've been dishonest before. And so, we're, you know, we're, we're all just sinners and we're just going to make it through. We can justify in that way. But whenever you sin before a holy God, you don't get to justify your sin before him. He justifies you. You don't justify your sin. You say against you and you only have a sin. I've done what is evil in your sights. You know, it is our, our sin, if you hear nothing else from me and my ministry, our sin is not okay before a holy God. If it was, he would have never sent Christ to the cross. There's, a, there's kind of this idea, this, this saying that, uh, what was it, that Jesus dying on the cross shows us the value of, of who we are. No. Christ on the cross shows us the depth of our depravity that there was no other way. Our sin is so bad that apart from Christ stepping into the world and taking on flesh and suffering and bearing all of our griefs and sorrows and bleeding for us and having his beard plucked and mocked and made a public spectacle and hung on a cross to suffocate, like that's how bad our sin is. The cross shows us the depth of our depravity, not the value of who we are. We only get the value of who we are because Christ died on the cross and said, now I'm going to make you mine. And that is what I want to encourage you with right now. That's the shift from sorrow to security. All of this is prayed before the God who knows the psalmist's sin, but the shift comes because of this. We know that whenever we repent, that Christ is there to forgive us. He doesn't have to be crucified day and day and day and day again. But Hebrews says it was once and for all time, for all people, his death was absolutely sufficient. Our sins are before a holy God and the depth of them hung him on the cross, but we no longer desire to sin. The separation in who we were and who we are is that we no longer make a practice of sinning. Sinning has lost its taste. Is there temptation? Yes, but there is Christ who has redeemed us. We just need a greater affection. We need a greater, a greater view of who he is. If we gather here and we, we get these messages that make us feel better, but our eyes are not lifted beyond this world and we don't see his throne, we're going to keep looking for idols in this world that shimmer and shine and make us feel great. We don't need to feel great in this world. There is one who is exalted beyond everything. Sin loses its taste and its touch and its embrace on our lives whenever we seek a greater affection. There's an old sermon, and it's the expulsory, the expulsory, expulsory, that's not even, I can't say it. How do you say that? The expulsive effect of a new, uh, the expulsive effect of a new affection. So whenever there's a greater affection that comes in, it, it 
it shoves everything else, it expels everything else. We need a grander view of God. But when we sin, have mercy on me, O God, because against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Our sin's not okay. What does Jesus tell them? Because you hear that a lot. Well, Jesus went to sinners and he was a friend of sinners. What was his message? Go and sin no more. So we walk alongside one another in life and we, we, we see sin, we experience sin, but we are to go and sin no more. It's not okay. We should lament over our sin. If you and I are not broken over sin as it enters our life, then we need to be praying for a new heart, a clean heart, a pure heart, so whenever sin is there, we see the stain of it. The psalmist before his God, we see this. Y'all, don't miss a beautiful picture of the psalmist knowing that despite his sin, he can pray to a God that he knows will hear him. He is not utterly cast aside. Satan will tell you, you are not worthy to go before the throne. And you know what glory we have? We say, I know. But he still said I could come. Like, we are not worthy to come before the throne. We know that. And God yet still says, but your incense will burn before me always. Completely unworthy. Lament and be broken for your sin before God. And sorrow to security, you, you hear this. And there is a shift. But I want to go to verse 17, because I think you can see the shift. Lord, uh, and that shift is when you, when you forgive me, Lord, I will sing of your praises. But verse 17, this should be underlined, highlighted, They should sink in. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Well, what does that mean? It tells us a broken and contrite heart. That's a humble heart. A broken and humble heart, oh God, you will not despise. We sin in our pride. That's why the sacrifice of a humble heart is always acceptable to him. You don't have to puff up before God. You don't have to posture. You don't have to prove to him. Nothing you can do towards him or for him is going to impress him or give you any greater value. You have been stowed eternal glory and, and the, the co-heirship with Christ. You can't do anything to get anything greater than that. But when we sin, may we lament. And when you lament, may you realize that that's an affliction, but your holy God hears you and he will forgive you and he will turn your sorrow to security. Here's how I want to end today. I don't have three points for how you're going to leave this place in a happier mood, by the way. But what if we, now knowing how to lament, seeing that it's scriptural, knowing that, that we have brothers and sisters who are surrounded by enemies, knowing that, that as we go from this place, some are going into, into um, maybe walking, they're returning to a valley. Like this was just a brief moment where the sun got to shine for about an hour and a half and then there's the cloud coverage is going to come again. Like we're just going to give you time to pray. They're, they're going to strum or twang or whatever it is that they're going to do. They're going to do that, but, but practice if you need to, seeing what you're totally free to do and lament before your God. You have an affliction. You have a God who hears you and he will turn your sorrow into security. That's the hope we have. Next week, we're going to look at the peaceful, wonderful psalms of comfort, right? So there was the heavy. Those are the ones that we remember, and we delight in who he is. And then we will move back into Genesis chapter 12 and, and continue on through the end.
I'm going to pray for you, and then you're going to have a time to, to pray. And if it needs to be a prayer of lament, fantastic. If it needs to be a prayer for his enthronement, fantastic. Maybe take one of these psalms, open it, and read it. And then we will sing to the king because he has dealt so bountifully for us and with us. Lord God, it may be that we are on mountaintops right now. Lord, we see the glory and splendor of who you are, and everything's good. But Lord, we also know that good days come to an end and mountaintops descend into valleys. Lord, we know that you are good. We just forget it. And we hear the lies of an enemy who does not want us to have security. Lord, teach us to suffer well. But the first part of suffering well is coming to you. Stating our affliction, trusting you, and then believing in your, in your words, trusting our faith and not our feelings. Lord, thank you that you give us human words so that we may know how to pray in an honorable way before you. Thank you for these believers, some walking through valleys, some on mountaintops, wherever it is that you have them. I pray that they know the glory of your presence. Amen.